What do Islamic fascists, Vladimir Putin, and the dog days of summer have in common? Tularemia. Both occurring in nature and bioweapons laboratories, facts about this disease are a must-know for physicians across the country. You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing vector-borne diseases. In this segment, we are focusing on tularemia. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University in Chicago. With me today is Karen Yates, an epidemiologist with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. She received her master's in biology with an emphasis in ecological field assessment from Pittsburgh State University. Hi, Mrs. Yates. Hello. We're pleased to have you on the show. What is the microbe in tularemia? Is it something like tularemia tulari or tutaloo or what is it? It's called tularensis francisella. What kind of microbe is it? It's a bacteria. Um, it's a very virulent bacteria. And as you mentioned, it can be weaponized and easily weaponized. And so it is also a bioterrorism agent. For those audience who might be puzzled by the allusion to uh, Vladimir Putin, very specifically, it is known that the Russians weaponized tularemia and had large stockpiles of it, and there certainly remains some concern that they still do. What is the life cycle of tu the tularemia microbe? Tularemia is very interesting. It can actually exist in the soil. It can exist typically in wetland soils. It can be in water. Moving over to life, tularemia can be found in mammals definitely in aquatic mammals because they, they may be infected by the water or the soil. But traditionally, tularemia has been associated with rabbits. When people would be infected with tularemia 100 years ago, it was called rabbit fever. Does it make the rabbit sick? Yes, it does. And, and eventually the rabbit dies. And if you ever hang out with some old-time hunters, they will tell you, don't shoot the rabbit that is not trying to run away. <laughs> so, you know, you're looking for a nice, healthy rabbit if you're going to eat rabbit because tularemia will eventually kill the rabbit. Does it infect other mammals as well? Yes, it does. Here in Missouri, we actually have, in one part of the state, we have some populations of feral pigs. These are pigs that escaped from captivity, and we have found tularemia in, in feral pigs. How prevalent is tularemia in Missouri and across the United States? Missouri is, and southern Missouri and northern Arkansas are the epicenter right now for tularemia activity. And it's not associated anymore um, in large part with infection through game animals. Tularemia does occur in all of the United States, but researchers are now looking into GIS-based models for trying to predict and understand why the incidence of tularemia is so high here. For our audience who doesn't know, what's GIS-based models? Um, GIS is um, Geographic Information System, and what that does is it pulls together all kinds of environmental data like vegetation cover, rainfall, temperature, and puts them all together so that, that you can look at the possibility that some combination of environmental factors are, are going to foster focal areas of infected ticks. 
Is tularemia transmitted by ticks? Yes, it is. So it's an, is it transmitted by any other vector? It is also known that tularemia can occur in deer flies and in horse flies. Deer flies, horse flies, ticks all take little blood meals as part of their reproductive cycle. So you can't get it directly by drinking drinking contaminated water? Well, you can get it from drinking contaminated water. It's just not as common anymore for that kind of thing to happen. In the 1950s and 60s, the numbers of tularemia resulted from exposure to contaminated water and contaminated game animals began to drop where they had been somewhere around 1,100 cases per year, they have, have precipitously dropped to just over 100 cases per year. But what we're seeing, of course, is that out of those, for example, in 2005, out of the 154 tularemia cases that occurred in the United States, um, 27 of those cases were found here in Missouri. Why is Missouri so popular for tularemia? Models are being developed using GIS, and it is very likely has something to do with the type of forest that is down there in the the southern tier counties of Missouri and the northern tier counties of Arkansas. That'll affect what kind of ticks there are. Right, and it affects the numbers of ticks, and it also affects, of course, the animal host that infect the ticks. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Karen Yates, an epidemiologist with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Today we are discussing vector-borne diseases. This segment has been focusing on tularemia. Tularemia sounds like one of the most lethal types of vector-borne diseases. What are the symptoms of the disease? The onset of tularemia tends to be very sudden, and the presentation depends on where the microorganism entered the body. So if the inoculation site was a tick bite, very often what you'll see is a pussy wound at the site of the tick bite that doesn't heal. If in the same way, we do still see some tularemia cases associated with game animals. And what happens there is that, you know, if there was a cut on the finger and that was where the bacteria entered the skin, that area will, you know, develop an ulcerous type of a wound that doesn't heal. But it does spread throughout the body, through the blood and the lymph system to develop into a systemic disease with fever, fatigue, chills, headache, basically presents like a flu-like disease in the summertime. But it doesn't get better. It gets worse. That's right. And tularemia does have the potential to become systemic and develop into what's called a typhoidal tularemia, which can have pneumonia but can also just involve multiple body systems. What uh, laboratory tests are used to diagnose it? The IFA test, and we're looking at titers in that case. And then another, another test that is very common that we see is the ELISA test or the EIA test. But it is possible, especially if there's a wound or if the physician believes there's a systemic infection, it's possible to take a culture of the wound material or blood and have the bacteria cultured. And, of course, that gives you a confirmed case. 
Does a physician actually have to tell the lab to check for tularemia specifically? Well, definitely. I mean, since it is a bioterrorism agent and because it's so virulent, the laboratories really need to be aware that they're dealing with a, a very dangerous organism. As a bioterrorism agent, it doesn't sound like an obvious choice. What would the bioterrorists do? Drop infected ticks on us from a skyscraper or what would they throw it out the window or what do they do? It would likely be, you know, the scenarios that I've read about have tularemia being aerosolized and released at a large public event. So it would actually be inhaled, which is not a natural or obvious route of infection. Right. But, you know, actually in Martha's Vineyard, And even here in Missouri, we've seen this a couple of times. Tularemia can become accidentally aerosolized when landscape people run over rabbits or other infected animals, aerosolize the bacteria with the blood, and then then it is inhaled. So periodically in that part of the country, and like I said, we've seen it here too, inhalation of tularemia through aerosolization can create that mnemonic tularemia. I imagine that because it's a bioterrorism concern, there are reporting obligations. Definitely. It's a reportable disease. And in fact, if there's a suspicion or confirmed test of of the possibility of tularemia, the turnaround time for reporting is, is 24 hours. And of course, when that occurs, local public health agencies really have to jump on an initial investigation to determine was this a, you know, was this likely a tick-borne or possibly through infected game or is this is this possibly a pneumonic tularemia or perhaps tularemia through contaminated water supply. Are there uh, any active prevention efforts going on in Missouri? Beyond prevention of tick bite, there isn't a lot that we can do. As far as the transmission cycle between the ticks and the mammal hosts, a lot is not known. It's not like Lyme disease where, you know, they have been able to target what stage of the, the host, you know, they, that if they treat the host, they can eliminate the bacteria from cycling through the environment. I want to thank Karen Yates, an epidemiologist with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services, who has been our guest. We have been discussing vector-borne diseases. In this segment, we focused on tularemia. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Be safe. Be informed. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.